are so looking forward to hearing your voices back together again. It will be a good sound. I did not grow up reading comic books and loving superheroes, but it's about impossible to live in this country and completely escape our cultural icon, the legendary Man of Steel, though he was originally conceived as a telepathic villain bent on world domination after he was introduced in a short story by Jerry Siegel in 1933, his image was reformed, and he made his debut with Action Comics in 1938. Born as Cal L on planet Krypton, he was rocketed to Earth to save him from the looming destruction of his planet. In Kansas, Cal L was discovered and adopted by parents who raised him with a strong moral bearing, but the mild-mannered and renamed Clark Kent was just an alter ego for this iconic caped crusader, nemesis of all evil villains. You might remember those lines, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, it's Superman. He had superhuman powers, but when planet Krypton was destroyed, mineral debris was transformed into a radioactive element and the crystallized form of this material, a green colored ore called kryptonite, had the ironic attribute of nullifying Superman's powers, immobilizing him. Like Samson's hair or Achilles' heel, Though Krypton was elemental to Superman's native planet, this green glowing rock was his downfall. It had the power to stop the world's greatest superhero in its tracks. A little kryptonite went a long way. Now maybe lifelong DC Comics groupies would know the answer to this, but my research did not reveal to me, nor did any of you who commented after the sermon know, why Jerry Siegel named Superman's planetary home Krypton. But you can be sure that he did not simply make this name up. Just as all the characters in the Harry Potter books have names that are derived symbolically, you can be sure that Krypton means something. Why was Kryptonite Superman's downfall? I have a hypothesis, and if I'm not right, Jerry Siegel missed a wonderful opportunity to introduce some theological innuendo into his story, which is a universal spiritual story about the battle of good and evil. So, quick review, Superman had superhuman powers, but an element from his home, part of the substance of his own substance, was also his downfall. Kryptonite could strip Superman of all his strength. So here's why I think Siegel might have named Superman's nemesis by this particular name. The Greek word which means hidden is krypton. The Greek, the Greek letter upsilon, U, is transliterated by the English letter Y. So krypton in Greek becomes krypton in English. You can hear this in the cognate word cryptic. If someone speaks cryptically, her speech is vague, usually intentionally, 
Or he speaks as so to hide the meaning of the words from obvious understanding. There is a power in that which is hidden. So maybe hidden deep within his own superhuman atoms was also the potential for Superman's own downfall. It's our story as well. Two weeks before I preached this sermon in 2015, I had mentioned in another sermon a cute but heartbreaking video that had been making the rounds on social media. You probably remember seeing it. A little girl was walking through a parking lot on a sunny afternoon when she suddenly realized <clears throat> a monster was following her. Everywhere she went, it went. If she slowed down, it slowed down. If she sped up, it sped up. It matched her step for step. It was her own shadow. And she was terrified by this monster that chased her. It was really heartbreaking to see her crying and screaming out for her mother. Her shadow was chasing her. So Superman and you and I, just like this little girl, we have a shadow side. It's part of who we are, that shadow, the kryptonite that is made of the same elements that form us. Light and darkness. Or as Luther said, we are simultaneously saint and sinner. The battle of good and evil, which Superman fought so dramatically on the outside, is being waged on the inside just as powerfully. That mystery is hidden, cooped up, within our own bones. Now, that's just my theory as to why Siegel might have named Krypton the home of Superman, but it forms the basis of the central question for today's sermon. Jesus had taught the people about the kingdom of God by telling them a parable, and when the crowds went away, his friends, who had not understood his cryptic heuristic methodology, I mean his unclear teaching style, they asked Jesus what it meant, and Jesus' response to them is one of the most cryptic answers he gives in all of Scripture. This is hard stuff. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything comes in parables in order that they may indeed look but not perceive that they may indeed listen but not understand, that they may not turn again and be forgiven. Wow. And some of you accuse me of preaching sermons that are hard to understand. Well, here's the basic question. Why is this stuff so hard? And how is that good news? If it's such good news, shouldn't we just blurt it out? So everyone could understand it plainly? Shouldn't we make it as easy as possible? Should we? Let's be clear that despite what Jesus says here about speaking so that they may not understand, Jesus does want people to understand. Mark says this is the very reason Jesus came out to preach the good news. And his truth, this news which has been the best news there is, has been revealed or will be revealed 
Later in this very chapter from Mark's gospel, Jesus makes this crystal clear. He says, there is nothing hidden, krupton, except to be disclosed. And then he says, but let everyone with ears to hear listen. Pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get. Nothing is hidden except to be disclosed, but the measure you give will be the measure you get. Apparently, life's greatest truths, life's deepest meaning cannot be given so easily, cannot be spoon-fed to anyone. And if it is, maybe we need to question the motive or examine the ego of the one doing the spoon you see, life-size questions do not come with bumper sticker size answers. It just doesn't work that way. Someone told me about his father, who would drive him crazy way back when he was in school. If he was doing his homework and he came across a word he didn't know, he'd ask his father, what does heuristic mean? And he knew that his father knew, but his father would never tell him. And it would drive him crazy. His father would say, there's a, a dictionary on my desk. Look it up for yourself. If I tell you, you will not remember. But if you go to the trouble of looking it up, maybe you will remember. Look it up for yourself. The measure you give will be the measure you get. Nothing is hidden except to be disclosed by doing the hard work yourself. We want everything easy, don't we? Maybe we've just been conditioned by, to that by such an incredible world of instant gratification everywhere around us. All the food that we can imagine is just there on the shelves at Harris Teeter. Most of the world can't even imagine that. No planting, no watering, no harvesting, no weeding. It's all there. Anything you want every day of the week. Entertainment on demand, museums and theaters, professional sports venues, one of the world's best artificial water parks. Now, we don't want to go, we don't want to work hard enough to drive to the mountain, hike down into the valley, haul the boat to the rapids, so we just built a water park. It's right off of I-85. The boat is already in the water when you get there. And after your trip through the rapids, there is a giant escalator. You just sit in your boat and it carries you back up to the top. And you can do it all again without lifting a single finger. We have climate controls at the touch of a button. So we never have to be a little too hot or a little too cold. And there's no need of experts anymore. Did you know that? You know, it used to be important to know someone who really was smart, someone you could go to who knew all the answers. But Google has put an end to the need for experts. Anything you need to know, almost literally anything, is right there beneath your thumbs. Well, I don't do much bemoaning of culture. You know, preaching that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. But I do hope we are not setting up our children for failure. Having been given so much ourselves 
and being determined to make life even easier for them, have we made it all too easy? In an interview for Sun Magazine some years ago, the reporter asked the author, Barbara Kingsolver, about perseverance. How do you nurture people to work hard enough? How do you do that with your own children? We all need to hear this popular writer's response. She says, there's something I have said so often to my children that they, they now chant it back to me. You can do hard things. You can do hard things. There's this myth that self-esteem comes from making, making everything easy for your children and making sure that they never fail. If they never encounter hardship or conflict, the logic goes, they'll never feel bad about themselves. Well, that's ridiculous. That's not even a human life. Kids learn self-esteem from mastering difficult tasks. It's as simple as that. Put your two-year-old on a stool and give her the bread. Give her the peanut butter. Give her a blunt knife and let her make that sandwich and get peanut butter all over the place because when she's done, she will feel like a million bucks. Raising children became mostly a matter of enabling them and standing back and watching. When a task was difficult, that's when I would tell them, you can do hard things. Frederick Beekner has said, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. You can do hard things because in a world of beautiful and terrible things, faith will stand the test of time as long as it's not a faith of easy answers. C.S. Lewis once said, it is not good asking for a simple religion. After all, real things are not simple. True meaning can only be found if it is mined through personal experience, not given in easy sermons, packaged platitudes, chicken soup for the lazy soul. Jesus always spoke in parables, cryptically. He never one time preached three points in a poem. He never one time said, I want to make faith relevant to you. So write down these four easy things. He never turned faith into a self-help seminary. By the way he taught and by the way he lived and died, he said, this is hard stuff. Relationships, God, faith, life is hard. The best Jesus could do as a teacher was to paint a picture through his parables and to invite us to interpret that story. He told stories and he hoped we would find ourselves in them. Locked up at home, Amy and I have been watching a good many movies these days. Last night, we watched an interesting movie called First Cow. Beautiful imagery, a kind of a strange um, movie. First Cow, I won't ruin anything for you, but we got to the end of it, and there were two distinctly different ways this ending could have gone, and the movie just ended. 
And we looked at each other and said, what did that mean? Was it this way or was it this other way? And we had this long conversation. What did it mean? Life's greatest truths have always been told in cryptic stories because you have to work to find what's the answer for you. Life is hard, and you can do hard things. The K medal from, Krypto, from Krypton, the K medal from Krypton, is a 1940 story by Jerry Siegel that was never published. In that story, Siegel had introduced a prototype of kryptonite. That kryptonite was a substance which drained Superman of his strength, but it also gave humans superhuman powers. It might be Superman's downfall, but hidden truth, krypton, a little kryptonite has the power to take you and me through the deepest, darkest valley of life, if we are willing to do the hard things to find that truth. This is hard stuff, but you can do hard things. May it be so.